Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Good morning. The scripture reading today is from Genesis 43, 26 through 31. It was 32. We brought it to 31. It went to 32. Now we're back to 31. So (laughs) when Joseph came home, They brought him the present that they had carried into the house and bowed to the ground before him. He inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads. And then they looked up and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest son of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. With that, Joseph hurried out because he was overcome with affection for his brother, and he was about to weep. So he went into a private room and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the meal. This is the word of God for all God's people. Thanks be to God. I think the Bible is truly an amazing book in terms of um, just how many life situations that we can um, go to the Bible and maybe find direct one-for-one advice. Not everything is a direct one-to-one correlation with the life we lead in the 21st century and the life that they led in first century or before. And um, or maybe perhaps a case study like we see uh, so often we can uh, feel not alone in the struggles that we're having and that we know God is with these people and so therefore God is with us in the struggles that we're having. It's really amazing how we can look at the Bible for all things. We can look at um, what to do in the face of loneliness or um, abandonment. We can look at what to do in the face of self-esteem issues. We can look at Deuteronomy 17 and see just what it is we should be like if we were going to rule a country, perhaps. There's even business advice and banking advice. Most of us probably wouldn't like the advice that's given um, for our current economy, but it's in there um, for how we can love our neighbor through those economic means. And oh yeah, even um, how to handle awkward family situations around dinner tables. It's there, right? And who hasn't been there? How to handle awkward dinner, ta- dinner conversations. How to an- a- handle awkward family conversations. How to handle an awkward situation where you're carrying all of this emotional baggage. Because if you, if you don't know the story, it's kind of your, of, of Joseph, um, it's kind of your typical Hallmark movie. Man Jacob falls in love with Rachel. Rachel's father tricks Jacob into marrying older sister Leah. Jacob still wants to marry Rachel, so Jacob stays around 
still married to Leah, but also marries Rachel. And the three of them go to live a moderately unhappy, weird life together, while Jacob has many children with Leah, and then Leah's servants, and then Rachel's servants, and then eventually Jacob has uh, a child, Joseph, with his beloved Rachel. And what happens next is what any family would do, is despite having about eight to ten already children ahead of Joseph, Jacob lavishes Joseph with praise in this technicolor dream code. He demoralizes his older children in favor of this one special child that he has. And who would expect that this one favored child grows up to be incredibly egotistical and telling all of his siblings about how great he is and how he will come to rule and dominate them all? You've been there before, right? So you've been there before. You know how it keeps going in our lives to where this one egotistical child is threatened to be murdered by the rest of his siblings. You've been there before, right? And instead of being murdered, they sell him into slavery like we do. And he gets sold into slavery, goes into Egypt, where he rises to the, the second most powerful position to Pharaoh in the mightiest empire of the land. And, and then like always happens, there's a famine in Israel and, and all of the brothers have to come begging. But it's been so many years and, and they just haven't seen Joseph in a while. So we tend to forget what our siblings look like when we have hard feelings and we don't talk to them very often, especially maybe after 20 years and and so the siblings come to Joseph and they bow in front of the second mightiest person in the land and they beg for food. And I mean, like, you've been to this situation. You know that the egotistical child is finally vindicated that all of his dreams of power have come true over his siblings. So like you do with your brothers, you play mind games and tricks and you mess with them and you take one of them hostage out of vindication and revenge. We've all been there. And then you send the rest of them back home to tell the father that if they don't bring the baby brother with them, then you're not doing anything. You're not helping them out at all. And then when they bring the baby brother back, you all sit down for a delightfully awkward meal around the dinner table where you don't discuss any of these feelings that you've carried with you for the last, I don't know, 30 to 40 years. Are you, we've all been there, right? Maybe not the first part, but the sibling rivalry, the hard feelings of a, a son to a father or a mother to a daughter or any of that relationship, I'm not going to ask you to be vulnerable today. But if you sat around a dinner table with people you just wanted to tell something to but you didn't have the words, have you been in a small group with people that you just needed to say something to, but you just didn't have the courage. Let me ask, who's carrying around some hard feelings? Who's carrying around feelings of hurt or betrayal? Who's feeling, uh, carrying around feelings of sadness or anger? And who has absolutely no idea what to do with these feelings? Because if we, if we express them, if we talk about them, if we come to the table and we say, you know what, I know it's been 40 years, but this has really scarred me my entire life, does that erase all the good stuff that did happen in that 40 years? Or, or the relationship, does it end the relationship that we desperately want to hold on to? Does it make us look weak? Does it make us look vulnerable? And will they not respect us anymore? If we're already hurt, 
and we express that we are hurt, well, it just invites someone to pile more hurt on us because we are the weak person that feels hurt. The Bible gives us at least a case study to look at from the story of Joseph here. And this not, isn't going to be the direct one-to-one biblical advice um, story because Joseph doesn't carry with a lot of great advice. It just gives us this rare glimpse of a primary biblical figure who um, is shown to just be overcome with feelings. This doesn't happen very often in the Bible. When we look at the Gospels, and that one, you know, the shortest verse in the entire Bible is Jesus wept. And not many religious texts will show the Son of God, Messiah of us all, weeping over his friend Lazarus. Most religious texts hold these religious figures as perfect and stoic and just completely in control of themselves. And yet, every so often in our sacred text, we have Jesus weeping, or we have Joseph going into a private room so nobody sees him cry. And then two chapters later, we see him just breaking down because he cannot take it anymore that his brothers are there and he is not in full relationship with them. And as we've told you before, papyrus and ink were incredibly short supply. So if the people who are recording these stories for us are writing it down, it's not something to take lightly. It's something that they wanted us to see. There is some reason why we are made to know that Joseph had to go and compose himself, that Joseph was so overwhelmed with his feelings. And we're going to get there, but the first thing I want us to know about living with these feelings and living with these hard feelings that I think is a biblical truth is that if we're going to live with hard feelings, if we're going to carry them around, I think the most important thing is to recognize that, um, that our worth is not centered in those feelings. That if we have hard feelings from somebody or with somebody, that we are usually basing our self-worth. If we're angry or we're sad, we're basing our self-worth in that relationship that we have. And relationships are vitally important. But if one of you and I have hard feelings with each other, yes, it's going to hurt me. It's going to cause me to struggle and suffer because I want to have that relationship with you. But my worth is not based in what you think of me or how good of a preacher I am or if I have a certain kind of car or whatever. Psalm 139 talks about how God has searched us and knows us. We were formed in, that God was with us as we were being formed in our mother's womb. Genesis 1.27 talks about how male or female, we were created in God's image. And even this John 3.16 of, you know, uh, for God so loved the world, that there is this indelible truth that our worth is tied up into what God thinks about us. And God's love never ends. Romans 8 talks about there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Our worth is that we are bound into being, that our self-worth is bound in being made in the image of God. And so if we have a rough patch, if we have hard feelings, if we're having a conflict in our lives, that doesn't diminish who we are. And I think Joseph, I call it more of a case study than a one-to-one biblical advice because when Joseph's brothers come back to Egypt and they're begging him, what would have been like the, the Christian response, the Christ-like response of loving your neighbor as yourself and turning the other cheek and not doing harm to your enemies? Joseph might have just said, oh, hey guys, it's great. I know that you threw me down a well and sold me into slavery, but we could probably get all past that. But instead, Joseph knows his future is secure. 
He is one of the wealthiest people in the world at this time. He has control over a grain supply that nobody else has. He has power. He has authority. He has wealth. He has everything that he could ever want. And there's a little bit of him in which he is able to manipulate his brothers because he knows he's secure. And so he bases his value in the wealth and the security that he has, but that doesn't last. And we'll see how his feelings chip away at that sense of security that he has. Because we can try and patch over those hard feelings with success. Now that really is a Hallmark movie thing. In every Hallmark movie, you see the person that has made it as a big-time New York lawyer, and they go home to the farm, and they realize that, you know what, there's something about me that is deeper than my success. It's deeper than the, the patches I put over things. So we can see where Joseph's sense of success, his sense of security gets worn down the more that he interacts with those people that he truly cares about. And so we need to know that when we're living with hard feelings, those feelings don't define our self-worth. That relationship doesn't define our self-worth. God defines our self-worth and our value, no matter what we're going through. But in that, there's a dualism in Joseph's feelings. Because he very well could have, you know, like we could look at Joseph and say, well, he's, he's vengeful, or he's justified, or we could say that he's angry. But one of the things about feelings is that they're dualistic. There's a, there's a, a kind of pastoral care uh, situation that I have been involved with for about 12 years now, which either means I'm not a very good pastor, or it's an incredibly incredibly detailed, intertwined conflict into this family system. And it largely centers around sibling rivalry. It is not unlike Joseph's story where one person in the family is completely mooching off of other people. And and there's a lot of conflict that goes along this. And it's lasted so long. And every time this person comes and, and calls me up and says, hey, this is happening again. I just need someone to talk to. I need some perspective to listen to, maybe some advice on this. And so we'll sit and we'll talk. And I think it was probably eight, eight months ago where I looked at this gentleman and I said, this has gone on so long. And you're, you've done some of the legal work and you, you've made some steps. It's just gone on so long. You're, you're practically emancipated from your brother. And by all legal standpoints, you, you don't really exist in the same sphere. Why do you still care so much? And he said, he's my brother. And the only feelings that this gentleman can name toward his brother are that he is angry and he is disappointed and he feels hurt. But you don't feel hurt by something that you don't care about. You don't feel angry towards someone that you want a relationship with. And not in terms of people, but when my wife turns on Grey's Anatomy, I could care less that she's watching Grey's Anatomy. I have no feeling toward that show. I have no desire to be a part of that show. There is nothing about that show that makes me feel anything at all. But when she turns on, like, Love is Blind, I think, why in the world are you watching such filth? Or The Bachelor. Right? There's something about that that makes me feel like I want to redeem that. I still care about that. And that could be the way the church relates to the world or we relate to our loved ones is if we are hurt, if we are angry, if we are sad, we recognize the dualism of that. That if we are hurt, it means we still care. And if we still care, it means there's still chance. 
there's still hope. If we still care, it means we still have love. And where love is, there is always a future, there's always a chance, because 1 John 4, God is love. And where there is God, there is always a future, and there is always some chance for reconciliation and redemption. And so recognizing that in our hard feelings, we don't mask it over with the self-worth of things that hide our feelings. We lean into the feelings God has for us, and we recognize that the feelings we have toward other people are very nuanced and dualistic. Right? Joseph has to go away and cry, even though he's angry. Because he sees his baby brother. I think the other ones are the ones who sold him into slavery and he can sit there and look at them with hate and, and revenge in his heart, perhaps. But all of a sudden, his baby brother comes, the one whom he shares a mother, Rachel, with. And he recognizes he is not as stone-cold hearted as he thinks he is. He's not as in control as he thinks he is. And he has this, I think, momentary revelation, even though it's not cognitive, it's feeling-based revelation, where he cares. And I think that the author of Genesis needs us to know that Joseph still cares because Joseph is the link between um, Jacob, the story of Jacob and the Exodus. And the Exodus being such a crucial story of how God still cares and how God always cares in the hardest of situations and how God delivers us from the hard situations. And so we need Joseph to still care because otherwise Joseph turns his back on his siblings and Jacob's story doesn't continue forward. We need this momentary glimpse into the heart of Joseph so that Joseph, so that we can know that despite all of his success and how he's based his life now, Joseph is still a Hebrew. He still cares. He still wants to be part, or he still is part, of God's promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that they will have descendants as numerous as the stars, and we will get back to the promised land as long as Joseph still cares. And when we sit down around our dinner tables and we have these awkward family situations, or we're a church that is hurt by uh, apathy within our community, or we're hurt by a friend of some level, recognizing that dualism in our feelings we need to know that we still care. And when we get angry, and when we get hurt, and when we get sad, we tend to try and isolate, or we tend to try and mask over our feelings because we don't want to care. Because caring makes us weak, or caring makes us vulnerable, or caring sets us up for more hurt. As I told someone the other day, when they were struggling with a situation, there is blessing in the struggle. None of us, when we are following Jesus, want to be apathetic or not care. And even though sometimes it's hard and even sometimes it hurts, when we do care, we recognize that we love. And as long as we love, then we're following the heartbeat of Jesus going forward. Now the third thing that Joseph finally does as Joseph finally breaks down and confesses his feelings. It takes two more chapters. But finally, they, they bring, um, uh, they do a whole you know, trick around Benjamin and everything, and finally Joseph just can't take it anymore. It's his baby brother, it's his siblings, he, sees, you know, he has his dad eventually come, but he breaks down. And, and so where he, he had composed himself, and he had convinced himself that his feelings were weak. And he had convinced himself he needed to be strong and dominant over these other people. He composed himself and said, serve the meal. And they don't even sit together at the awkward family dinner. And some of you may be familiar with that. 
But eventually he breaks down and he expresses his feelings. And I think the thing about living with hard feelings that we all need to recognize in terms of like a process and an outcome is that we weren't meant to live with hard feelings. We were meant to live with each other. We're not meant to just live with all of this boiling inside of each other. We were made in community. We see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit as this perfect relationship. We see in the very beginning there was this human made and God said it's not good for this human to be alone. And, and then we see even beyond the, the two human beings, there's animals in creation. We are meant for relationship. We aren't meant to live in hard feelings or with hard feelings. We're meant to live with each other. And if we don't express what we need from each other, we can't live with each other. Because when we have these feelings toward each other or hard feelings toward each other, it tends to build barriers. And it tends to make us go cry in a separate room so that we can be stoic and unknowable in another room. And Joseph finally confesses. He breaks down and he invites people in to share. Or that scripture verse about bear one another's burdens. He invites us to bear, his brothers to bear his burden and for him to offer forgiveness as Christ would have us do. And they have this great family reconciliation where Joseph is, I mean, Joseph recounts everything that they did to him. And I can't imagine if I were Judah or Issachar or Zebulon or one of those other brothers, 20 years later or so, hearing, oh, I did throw my brother down a well. I did sell him into slavery. Maybe that wasn't the greatest thing. But I wonder if they ever knew that Joseph was as angry as he was. I mean, they didn't know he was alive, but if they did, would they have truly known what the relationship was? And if our relationships are meant to be shared, if we're meant to live together, if we're meant to support each other and bear one another's burdens, if we're meant to sacrifice for each other the way that Christ sacrificed for us, how can we do that if we don't know what each other needs? And so one of the courageous steps that I think Joseph takes, I think that we all have to take, is that if we're going to live with each other instead of with hard feelings, then we have to confess our feelings. We have to confess our hurt. We have to confront the situation. And we have to do so with the knowledge that we have love, even in the midst of anger or hurt. We have to do so with the knowledge that we have love. And where love is, anything is possible. Because God is love, and with God, anything is possible. I think when we are living with hard feelings, we tend to close doors so that we don't get hurt even more. And the more doors we close, the less of a chance there is of anybody walking through them. There's a great story in Luke chapter 18, and it's a blind beggar who hears from somebody that Jesus is walking through town. And in so much of our faith, or so much what I hear from people talking about faith, is um, we kind of assume that we walk through life and we do whatever we're going to do, kind of in our own isolationist bubble, and then God just does stuff along the way. And here in this story, it's pretty well explicit that Jesus is just walking on the road and, and in other scriptures, we see that Jesus heals everybody that comes to him, or he's just healing people left and right. But this one, it seems to sound that, that Jesus is just walking along the road and not paying attention to any of those people on the side. And I don't know what he's got appointment-wise, but he is just walking down the road. And someone tells this blind beggar, hey, Jesus is coming, and if you yell out to Jesus, Jesus will heal you. 
And you know, I don't know if I were a blind beggar, but I've had other infirmities, and I've been embarrassed to have a sprained ankle before. And I've been embarrassed that I had broken bones before. I didn't want anybody's help when I had a torn ACL. I didn't want anybody's help when I was bullied. I didn't want anybody's help when I was sad about my grandfather's passing. I just wanted to be able to take care of it myself because I've always been told that you just take care of yourself and you stay in your own lane and you don't burden other people with that. But here this blind beggar has the choice of I can sit and I can be blind beggar and I can feel in my feelings and I can just sit and wallow or I can, I can reach out and someone might help me, especially this man named Jesus who is God incarnate on earth who anything is possible with and the blind beggar chooses Jesus, son of David, help me out. And he has to yell it twice because sometimes, sometimes it doesn't take And so he yells it again, Jesus, son of David, come help me. And Jesus stops and Jesus has compassion and heals this man because he told Jesus what he needed. I want to encourage you that if you're like me and you were always taught to go in the other room and cry, if you were taught to contain your joy and excitement because it's not cool to be overly excited, if you were taught to just keep yourself to yourself and go in the other room and then when you come back in public, just be as cool and stoic as you can be. I want to invite you to start with God. And I want you in your prayer life to tell God what you need. I want you to invite God into that room and open all the doors with God. Invite God into all of the things because that's going to give you the, the knowledge that God is with you in the situation like God is with Joseph, like God is even with Rachel in, the, in, in uh, her uh, barrency at the beginning, with all of these biblical figures who are dealing with hard things, that if God was with them, that God is with us. And so open up in your prayer life. Tell God everything so that we might get the courage and we might get the comfort to make family dinners a little less awkward, to make the Friendsgiving a little less awkward, to make our small groups a little less awkward. To make our church a little less awkward. Because we weren't meant to live with hard feelings. We were meant to live with each other. Let's pray. Gracious God, when we say we've all been there, the good news is that you have too. You have faced persecution. You have faced embarrassment. You have faced struggling, you faced anger, disappointment, joy, ecstasy, happiness. You have faced it all because you chose to come in the person of Jesus to walk on this earth so that you might know who we are and be in relationship with us and know that whatever we're feeling, whatever we're going through, that you're at the table with us. And so God, in our, in our vow to trust in your grace entirely, May we truly trust in the grace that you have for us. And may we turn our lives over to you, every single part of them, so that we can know that love is with us at all times. And if love is with us, everything is possible. Because, God, we don't want to live apart from each other anymore. And so help us to work through the feelings that we have so that we can work in the relationships that you desire for us. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing? Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing.
Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.